Hello everybody, I'm Dane Curley and this is me clicking record. And what a lovely day it is to be clicking record for the 35th time on an official basis, not counting bonus episodes. MC Rec 35 just finished eating those organic peanut butter cups, you know, the kind, not the Reese's, the kind they sell at Whole Foods, so you think you're eating healthy while you're really just eating the same old junk. Well, it's dark cocoa, it's not corn syrup, but surely it's better for you. It's sugary garbage, and I love it. And check this out, folks, you're gonna hear my one of my favorite noises in the whole wide world. Oh yeah, Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Not exactly an official sponsor, but I do drink it on the show, and therefore they should probably sponsor me so that we can make more money. Thank you. Uh, it, they changed their formula. Still good, folks. Still mighty good. Gotta say... Formula changes, they can be scary times in our lives. We don't, you know, we've been drinking this Coca-Cola Zero Sugar, formerly known as Coke Zero. We've been drinking it for so very long, and, you know, your nerves are rushing, and oh, oh no, new formula, new can, new design on the can. It says, it doesn't say same great taste, why? What could it be? Didn't say same, I'm turning into Seinfeld. It doesn't say same great taste. It's a new formula. What was wrong with the old formula? It's Coca-Cola. They've been selling it for a hundred years. That's how I was acting. But then you sip it like so. Good morning, Vietnam. Damn, that shit's good. So it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's still hot as hell here in uh, mid-September on the dot, 9-15-2021, or 15-9 if you're from Europe. But you're probably not, seeing as we have like a 90 to 10% ratio of American to non-Americans here on the listenership of this podcast. But I could stop rambling, but isn't that what you come here for? Laughter, humor, and rambling. And occasionally some witty and intelligent things, like so... Uh, the September 4th edition of The Economist magazine was focused on the illiberal left, and it was a very good series of articles. If you're hearing a bunch of fucking noise and clicking, it's because I tried to take my glasses off. I have these glasses, the blue light filtering glasses, and uh, I'm reading a computer screen here, and I tried to take them off with my headphones on, and then it scraped off the headphones, then I crashed into the windscreen of the microphone, then I hit the microphone itself, then when I tried to put them back on my head, the headphones were still there, folks, so I just crashed into the headphones, and anyway, I've just figured it out. Apologies, apologies. But the illiberal left, and they did a series of articles on the illiberal left. Now, this is a very interesting idea because it used to be, it is still the case that we call the American left the liberals, but that's with a capital L. Now, with lowercase l, the word liberal is supposed to have a certain connotation, and that is that it is anti-authoritarian. It is not in line with tyrannical policies. It is not in line with policies that tightly control behavior liberalism is against tightly controlling behavior and indeed fuels the root word of liber, liberal, libertarianism, which is an even more extreme uh, position on freedom 
and the right not to be regulated uh, in the case of capital L libertarianism uh, to, to not be regulated at all or mostly not at all. Uh, but anyway, you know, we're finding now that a, a big constituency coming out of the elite institutions, the elite institutions of deep state, deep state of the elite institutions, we gotta do something about it, Joe. We gotta do something about the deep state. They're turning the frogs gay. They're turning the frogs gay, Joe. And they might be turning the frogs gay. I don't know. There's true. The human-animal hybrids part was true. I figured that out. I told you all. Now remember, this is still my favorite series of this podcast. Episode 16 of me clicking record, human-animal hybrids. That's like a little teaser, a little flavor of what's going on inside of China. Inside of China, they're doing terrible things, folks. Terrible things. They're doing the worst things to the Uyghurs. Uh, So that was episode 16. And honestly, if you shut this off and went right over there, I wouldn't blame you. But then episode 26... Human-Animal Hybrids Part 2, The Human Soul, and all of these episodes, of course, brought to you by my dear patrons on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Dane Curley. There's a whole bazillion tiers now that you can choose from. Whatever the whatever the price is right for you, come on down. The price is right to support Dane Curley, the host of Me Clicking Record. Get more episodes of Me Clicking Record by donating now. Uh, so I love those episodes, and we are in Alex Jones's debt. Yes, we are, ladies and gents. We are in his debt for breaking the news of human-animal hybrids. The main, the lamestream media didn't want to do it, folks. Alex Jones had to be the hero. We won't get into the whole Pizzagate thing or the, you know, false flags, false flags. There are false flags operations everywhere. They're happening every day, folks. We won't get into any of that. Just the human-animal hybrids part. But why? how did I get to this? Because I'm just fucking going nuts. Uh, the illiberal left. And this is an interesting article. On this, the v- on this, the very day of Hispanic American Heritage Month, we're going to read a little bit about some Hispanic heritage bullshit going on. How did American wokeness jump from elite schools to everyday life? And it is actually the first day of uh, Hi- Hispanic American Heritage Month. That's what it's been called. If you look at your calendar on Google, or even if you have a printed out calendar that you bought at the top of the year, it should, or probably will if you're in America anyway, mark today's date as Hispanic American Heritage Month's uh, beginning. Uh, And then, so here on September 4th, 2021, we have this uh, Economist article, and here's the first paragraph. You could use a single word as a proxy. Latinx. Latinx? What the hell is Latinx? Latinx. L-A-T-I-N. X, one word. The X is a variable for either an A, which would make the word feminine, Latina, or an O, which would make it masculine, Latino. So historically speaking, and for all of the existence of the Spanish language across all Spanish-speaking populations of the world, the Spanish language is not a gender-neutral language. You have to use A's and O's to change the gender of your words. And some words are specific to specific genders, and that gender doesn't change. Okay, so we're going to have to be doing a lot of changes to this language if we're going to make it gender neutral, folks. But we shouldn't be doing that at all. It would be a fucking nightmare for people who speak Spanish. And it, and nobody wants to. And here's where we go into the next part. So and so to 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 ensure nobody is misgendered, 
there's a small segment of the United States population that wants to use this term instead with the variable X, Latinx. It's a gender neutral adjective, which only 4% of American Hispanics say they prefer. Only 4%, not of the whole country, of American Hispanics. Only 4% say they prefer the term Latinx to Latino or Latina or Latinos. Now, if there was a group of men and women, it would default to the masculine, Latinos. Most people aren't offended by this. Why would they be? Yet, in 2018, the New York Times, the New York Times, launched a co- fake news. The New York Times launched a column dedicated to Latinx communities. It has crept into White House press releases under Joe Biden and a presidential speech. Joe Biden, Google's diversity reports use the even more inclusive Latinx plus term. All is one word, Latinx plus, like the plus sign. A term once championed by esoteric academics has gone mainstream. The espousal of new vocabulary is one sign of social mobilization that is affecting ever more areas of American life. It has penetrated politics and the press. Sometimes it spills into the streets in demonstrations calling for the abolition of police departments. Oh, there. Well, that makes sense. It is starting to spread to schools. San Francisco's education board. By the way, The Economist is is not a um, I mean, it's a moderate magazine. I've been reading it for years, for like a decade I've been reading it because in fact it was gift. I got a gift when I was a kid. I was still in high school. I got a gift because somebody in my family knew I was very interested in politics. I would later go on to study political science and I can get my bachelor's in political science at Willie P. William Patterson State University of New Jersey. And they got me a gift of 10 individual magazines and they said, whichever two are your favorite, that's your real gift. This was a, an affluent family member, not a not an immediate family member. And I said, whichever two are your favorite, I will get you subscriptions to those two. Now, I was too embarrassed to ask for the actual subscriptions as an additional gift. I felt the 10 magazines costing 10 to $20 a pop was more than enough of a gift. That felt very big to me. I wasn't used to getting expensive gifts. Video games would have been the biggest gift I had ever gotten um, you know, my mom would get me video game systems at Christmas and things like this, but from people who were not my mom, it felt a little bit strange, right? So I never asked for them, but I did engage in the exercise. And what I found is of the 10 magazines, and some of them were very left and some of them were very right. And at the time when I was young, I was pretty much, you could probably describe me very easily as a libertarian capital L. I would later go on to become a libertarian lowercase l and vote for both people in the Republican Party and people in the Democratic Party. And these days, I'm much more of a left libertarian, which is actually what they call it, left libertarianism. Uh, But I digress. The point is I engaged in the exercise and the one magazine that I loved the most was The Economist. I felt like they were properly critical of just about all sides. They did clearly have an agenda, but it wasn't a secret agenda. They, they spoke as globalists. And so I would just read the magazine knowing their biases because they were very straightforward about it. And I still prefer to read this magazine today. We've disagreed over the years, but that's okay. Uh, they are a liberal magazine, lowercase l. They do not believe in authoritarianism. So that was one of the most critical components of why I read this group's magazine. And they talk about the whole world and it's very fascinating to me. So I just wanted to get that out of the way in case you were thinking I was reading some right-wing thing. It's not right-wing. It's definitely business forward. It is called The Economist. 
But it is not about uh, elimination of 100% of regulations, and it's not Trumpian. For example, one of the things I disagreed with them was about the trade war against China. I disagreed about, I thought the trade war against China was a good thing. You may have heard me talk about it in earlier episodes of the podcast as like the one thing Trump did that I was really emphatically in support of. I think China, the Chinese Communist Party is a terror, terror, it's a terror organization for its own people and um, for minority groups within its country by a lot, by a lot. It was very dem demonstrably um, terroristic. I don't know. But anyway, that's my long digression. I'm going to go back to the article. The espousal of new vocabulary is one sign of social mobilization, blah, blah, blah. San Francisco's education board, which for more than a year was unable to get children into classes, busied itself with stripping the names of Abraham Lincoln and George Washington from its schools and ridding department names of acronyms such as VAPA, VAPA, Visual and Performing Arts, on the ground that, quote, they are a symbol of white supremacy. The names of Abraham Lincoln. The, the name of Abraham Lincoln alone, if we just take that as, a, as one specific item here, the idea that Abraham Lincoln is a symptom, a symptom, not a symbol, a symptom of white supremacy, that is the most preposterous and idiotic idea. It makes no sense logically speaking. There is no logical argument for that. Just so you know. What links these developments is a loose constellation of ideas that is changing the way that mostly white, educated, left-leaning Americans view the world. This credo still lacks a definitive name. It is variously known as the left liberal identity politics, social justice activism, or simply wokeness. But it has a clear common thread, a belief that any disparities between racial groups are evidence of structural racism, that the norms of free speech, individualism, and universalism, which pretend to be progressive, are really camouflaged for this discrimination, and that injustice will persist until systems of language and privilege are dismantled. Language. So when we joke, and when George Carlin, famous comedian, uh, would joke about the language police and the political correctness problem. Okay, that that was coming from the left. George Carlin was a leftist, he by and large and, and outspokenly so. Okay. Now now it's coming from the left. Okay? And it did come from the left with uh, uh Tipper Gore. You know, I think that's Al Gore's wife. And we talked about all this in our in another great episode that we did that I'm very proud of. Um, about uh, free speech in comedy and music. And that was episode 20, where you could learn about how the left started attacking free speech. And it wasn't like it is today under the guise that what they were attacking, well, they were trying to stop racism. Like, that's hard to argue with these days, because nobody wants to be on the side of racists, right? Uh, but we do want to be on the side of free speech. And so there is, a, you know, maybe perhaps a slippery slope there. But it didn't start that way. And the real slippery slope was... You know, where this began on the left was, you know, putting the parental advisory sticker on music. And how do you decide what gets the parental advisory sticker? And how do you decide what gets a, 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 an R rating? And what are our children allowed to see? And what are they not to see? And taking the power away from parents and putting it into the hands of our government, right? So that's what episode 20, Free Speech in Comedy and Music is for uh, me clicking record. Uh, and now it's a more exacerbated the left really going hard to, uh, but only a very small, I'm on the left myself, only a very small contingency of the left is doing this, folks. A lot of bad faith claims of bigotry. A lot of bad faith. This is a power grab. Let's read more of the article so you, instead of getting my opinion, you get, you get somebody more educated than myself. 
These notions were incubated for years in the humanities departments of universities, elite ones in particular, without serious challenge. Moral panics about campus culture are hardly new, and the emergence of a new leftism in the early 2010s prompted little concern. Even as students began scouring the words of academics, administrators, and fellow students for microaggressions, the oppressive slights embedded in everyday speech and found them complacency ruled. I don't think I pronounced all that properly. When invited speeches from people such as Christine Lagarde, then head of the International Monetary Fund, were canceled after student activists accused her of complicity in imperialist and patriarchal systems, the response was a collective shrug. In other words, nobody on the left stuck up for anybody that these, this new leftist group, a small contingency, was taking down. The complacency was naive. America harbored a Vegas campus delusion, says Greg Lukianoff, president of the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, an, ad an advocacy group. Quote, what happens on campus will not stay on campus. End quote. It has not. The influence of the new social justice mindset is now being felt in the media, the Democratic Party, and most recently in businesses and schools. And we're talking about not colleges, but elementary schools, middle schools. How did this breakout happen? Three things helped prepare the ground. A disaffected student body, an academic theory that was malleable enough to be shaped into a handbook for political activism, and a pliant university administration. First came a new generation of students keenly aware of unsolved social problems and willing to see old-fashioned precepts of academic freedom, such as open debate, as obstacles to progress. Can you imagine? You better start imagining it because this is really happening. Open debate is now an obstacle to progress because you got to check your privilege. So if you are a white classmate, right, you cannot have, you cannot be a part of the open debate. You must silence yourself and prostrate yourself before. And 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 what's my one of my favorite words? What the, what the Chinese make people do? Um, oh gosh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Kowtow, cowabunga, kowtow, kowtow to these to these niche specialty groups. Okay. Back to the article. Various events, the financial crisis, the election of Donald Trump, the police killings of unarmed black men, especially that of George Floyd, fed frustration with traditional liberalism's seeming inability to end long-run inequities. This hastened the ado adoption of an ideology that offered fresh answers. In a book entitled The Coddling of the American Mind, Mr. Lukianoff and a social psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, people really like him, Seems to, seems to be a, a, a voice of reason in our reasonless society, Jonathan Haidt. Posit that overprotective parenting in the shadow of the war on terrorism and the Great Recession led to, quote, safetyism, a belief that safety, including emotional safety, trumps all other practical and moral concerns. It doesn't. Wake the fuck up, you babies. Anyway, I digress. Back to the article. Its bounds grew to require disinviting disfavored campus speakers protesting about disagreeable readings and regulating the speech of fellow students. Now, this is all going on about a while now. You know, Joe Rogan has been trying to highlight it, his guests in particular. We've got the, the rise to stardom of Jordan Peterson, who was complaining about this. We've got uh, Heather Hying and her husband, uh, Brett Weinstein, I think is how they pronounce it. They were complaining about it and, in fact, were ousted from their school, but then won a lawsuit, oh, uh, won many millions of dollars, I believe. 
Uh, I'm talking out of my ass. I don't have the facts in front of me, so you should be aware of that. But people were sounding the alarm, and people like my friend Nazar were on the sidelines saying, it's just a fad. It's meaningless. These people will go away, but they aren't going away. They're gathering more minds. They're brainwashing more minds. They are taking over uh, corporate culture, which is the most frightening because these corporations have a lot of power. And I don't think these corporations should be able to regulate speech. I think that's an absurdity. It's a big mistake by the American people to allow this to go on. Okay, and I'm saying this as a left-wing person. I voted for Bernie fucking Sanders. I cannot agree with this sort of speech regulation. The language police, the PC liberals are in the wrong. They always have been. Listen to the comedians. There's a reason the comedians and the musicians are fighting for free speech. They have great points. Hear them out. Hear them out. Many students latched onto a body of theory which yokes obscurantist texts to calls for social action or praxis that had been developing in the academy for decades. In 1965, Herbert Marcuse, a critical theorist, coined the phrase repressive tolerance, the notion that freedom of speech should be withdrawn from the political right in order to bring about progress since, quote, the cancellation of the liberal creed of free and equal discussion, end quote, might be necessary to end oppression. This is a this is radical. This is a radical idea. Entering the mainstream. We are a rapidly radicalizing society, just so you know. Do what you will with that information, but know that it's true. Another influence was Paulo Freire, a Brazilian educator whose Pedagogy of the Oppressed, published in English in 1970, advocated a liberatory pedagogy in the spirit of Mao's cultural revolution, in which the oppressed unveil the world of oppression and through the praxis commit themselves to its transformation. Are you fucking kidding me, people? Let me teach you about Mao's cultural revolution. It led to the current Chinese condition. It leads to a racist single-party state with social, uh, social culture so in the grip of your government that if you deviate, you are not, you're not able to go on vacation that year until you wisen up and start praising your dear leaders. It's only a few steps away from North Korea. You know what it is? It's a very rich North Korea rather than a starving North Korea. Fake crying when Xi Jinping dies, you can bet on that. There's a lot more to this article. I can't read it all for you. I can't read it all for you. But it does offer a solution. This whole series of articles, there is a solution offered. Okay? And what is that? Well, it's that if you're on the left, such as me, you have to be brave in taking on the woke left. Because we all know that the very word woke in that phrasing is a farce. It's, it parodies itself. And if you're on the right, rather than attacking the woke left all the time, you got to call out the authoritarian right. So if you're a, tr a lowercase liberal, a true liberal from the, from the, the founding fathers, uh, at least insofar as, and as the ideals were, 
You know, we know that many of them owned slaves, and that's obviously an illiberal practice. But in the ideals of this country, in the teachings of people like Jonathan Locke and um, John Stuart Mill and others, and again, you know, in our founding fathers like Thomas Jefferson, who, th though, though we don't understand how they could have possibly justified some of the other things they were doing while they were reciting in, in, in word and in language these great ideas. They were engaging in horrible practices. Yes, it's true. But the vision remains important, of critical importance. And so if you're on the right, I'm asking you, please, call out the authoritarian right, this, uh, these abortion laws, things like that. If you're on the left, you got to call out the authoritarian left. The language police, okay? People who are telling you you don't get to have an opinion based on your race and skin color. Just because they're saying, just because it's a white skin color rather than a minority skin color doesn't make it acceptable. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. We should not be making any laws based on appearance of groups of people. We all have to agree on that. And if you don't agree... On that, I welcome you to never listen to the show again. We, we, we will not find each other to have much common ground. It is what it is. No need for you to stick around waiting to write an angry blog about me, right? We have a fundamental difference. You're, you're, you may be a lost cause. So that's, what, that's what's to be done. That's it. We could go on and on about this subject. There's a lot going on, you know. Um, in San Francisco in particular, three members of San Francisco's Board of Education, including its president, are under threat of a recall election. So is the city's ultra-progressive, and I don't know, maybe we should put that in air quotes, district attorney. However, the underlying engine, the questionable ideas of some academics, and the generational change they are rendering is not shutting off. America has not yet reached peak woke. As in, it's not just a fad be wary of it. Be concerned by it. Don't just sit idly by as the world around you transforms for the worse. Peace out, everybody. One, two, three. This is a podcast. Dane Noodles. This is a podcast. It's a podcast, Dane. This is a Noodles. And we like sex. I just want to thank Dan Curley for taking on the left-wing deep state establishment. Even though he reads the evil globalist magazine, The Economist, which of course is written by lizard people who drink adrenochrome, harvest it from babies like human batteries, Matrix 4 is real, the woke liberals are taking over, looked at the MT frogs before they all turned gay.